Pauline, give me some of your tots. I ate his liver with some fava beans. Nice candy. Combo, pan fry, deep fry, stir fry. Yummy! Hey guys, welcome to another episode of The Cooking Show. I am your host, Bob, and this week we're making a venison meatloaf. You know it was only a matter of time before we broke out the meatloaf. I mean, week in and week out, I'm on here talking about how much I like comfort foods and nostalgia and, you know, those old dishes that, you know, just like grandma used to make that kind of thing. So obviously, you know, it was only a matter of time before we got to the meatloaf episode. And this week's episode, what I've done is I've kind of like, I've kind of set up an obstacle, so to speak, you know, by, by using venison in the meatloaf, um, I kind of have to really pay attention to, uh, not only the flavor, you know, cause we don't want this to be too gamey and rustic, you know, but also the texture. And that's the, that's like a really big, important, sometimes overlooked aspect of making a really good meatloaf is getting the appropriate texture. So by using venison, that actually, I mean, we'll talk about the reasons why, but that actually kind of uh, requires additional care be paid. Uh, do you pay care? Uh, attention be paid? Yeah, there we go. Additional attention be paid to how we're developing flavors and like the, the layering of flavors. That's really important. Um, but also, getting uh, the appropriate texture because we don't want this to be super dense and hard. We also don't want it to fall apart whenever it's, it's cut and served. So uh, we're going to focus a lot on technique and having the right intention when making a meatloaf. Because I think, you know, meatloaf is one of those things. It's like a last resort meal, you know, where it's like, uh, huh, I can't figure out can't figure out anything good to have might as well make a meatloaf <laughs> it always always reminds me of the episode of roseanne where the titular character uh, roseanne barr or she might have been roseanne arnold at the time the actress and the character were yes she was roseanne connor she was not neither of the uh, aforementioned two names as the character but she's like a uh, volunteering as like an auxiliary home ec teacher for I don't remember if it was Darlene's class in high school, but being being the housewife, being the homemaker, or as Roseanne's punchline was a domestic goddess, <laughs> she would have a lot of firsthand knowledge of like running a household and making dinner and taking care of all the things that you have to take care of. And, you know, at one part, she's doing this sort of like a walkthrough of the Connor household, and they're going to get dinner started early on in the uh in the field trip and she's making a, a meatloaf and it had you know cornflakes and i don't even remember what else was in a bunch of bunch of stuff that i didn't use in this one uh but then she tells the kids you'll know that this is done when the oldest child comes down the steps and says oh man not meatloaf again and then of course that builds to the climax when they're out in the living room going over some other aspect of whatever it is that they're doing. And then Becky comes down and says, oh, no, not meatloaf again. And Roseanne looks at the kids and says, yeah, hey, dinner's ready. So we're making meatloaf uh, using venison predominantly, primarily. The primary protein in this is ground venison. And 
we're we're not going to spend a lot of. I mean, we'll go through the ingredients and all that kind of stuff. But what we want to focus on is three like prongs, I guess. Three three issues that you might have when making uh, meatloaves or terrines, pâtés, whatever. First thing is building up the foundational flavors from. Uh, you know, stacking the flavors, having having uh, echoes of each flavor running through the entirety of the dish. And what I mean by this is like, so, so think about your traditional meatloaf. You have the meatloaf itself and it's normally topped with some sort of a, unfortunately, ketchup-based sauce, right? Now, we're not going to use ketchup in the in the sauce for this, but we're going to recreate something similar to it hitting on all of like the flavor notes that ketchup brings to the table because ketchup is a surprisingly complex condiment it has a lot of things going on there but we're gonna we're gonna recreate that but in doing so some of those flavor components things like uh, the vinegar the sugar the garlic the saltiness all those all those components of that sauce what we want to do is we want to add those notes to the meatloaf itself so that you have um, like whispers of all the same flavors that are concentrated in the sauce, kind of running through the body of the meatloaf. Additionally, we want to focus on flavor, you know, flavor in general of like uh, having complementary flavors uh, and, and smoothing out the edges between the venison, uh, the pork and the pork fat, and all of the other ingredients that go into the meatloaf itself, and making sure that we've thought logically about how we're building up these flavors because we don't we don't want this to taste too much like wild game like that's one thing is we want to mitigate the gaminess of the meatloaf but we also don't want to we don't want it to be gimmicky like you don't want to do like a general so's chicken flavored meatloaf like where you're just like putting in one really polarizing electric you know, neon flavor and having that overpower everything else. You want it to be well balanced. So we're gonna we're gonna focus on that. And third, last but not least, is texture. This is the most important part. Alluded to it earlier, saying that you don't want to have your meatloaf be too dense. So you want it to be springy and light and have a really nice mouth feel. And in doing so, what I like to think about is like um, having an intentionality going into making a dish that goes beyond just like, oh, okay, I know what I need to do. I have my instructions. I have my ingredients. We're going to focus and do this correctly. But it's also like you have to have an image in your head. Sometimes it's not even the thing that you're making, but the thing that you're you're aspiring to with the dish. With a meatloaf, what is a meatloaf? Other than just a big, rounded, rectangular meatball, perhaps? So let's use the idea of making really good meatballs to inform the way that we're building up this meatloaf. So that we're, if we can make a if we can make a really good meatball, then we can make a really good meatloaf that is just like kind of an aggregation of a bunch of meatballs, right? So let's talk about the ratios of meat here. If you oh man, you remember? Ooh, go back to like the late '80s, early '90s. Obviously, probably before that too. You know, if you go back to '70s, '60s, whatever. A lot of times you have meatloaf kits that would be like uh, beef, pork, and veal, like all on one tray that you could mix together, and uh, that was that was great because you had you had the denseness and the flavor of the of the beef, you had a little bit of a lighter, real tender, mild um, flavor and texture of the veal, and then of course the pork would have a little bit more fat content to to make it juicy and wonderful. Um, 
but then there's a lot of other ingredients that you need to add in there uh, to get the appropriate texture and flavor. For this one, we're not using the a, a trifecta of proteins. We're literally just using ground venison and what is essentially ground pork fat, but there is a little bit of lean pork in there also. What I'm using for that is the pre-trimmings from our Christmas ham, where you know you, you take off the top of the of the pork leg around the H bone, so you get a lot of um, you get a lot of fat, intramuscular fat, subcutaneous fat, and a little bit of lean pork there. But we're going to select specifically for pork fat to bulk up that venison. Uh, we're doing this in a ratio of two thirds venison to one third pork or pork fat. The the thirty percent or the you know the one third ratio is it seems like it comes up a lot in preparing dishes and culinary rules of thumb or whatever. It might be an, uh, an instance of like Bader-Meinhof syndrome where you're familiar with it, so you see it every time it comes up, but it doesn't actually appear more often than anything else. But, you know, in charcuterie, whenever you're making like salamis, for example, uh, a lot of times you want to use pork shoulder for that because pork shoulder tends to naturally break down along a 70% lean, 30% fat mixture. You know, whenever you're just constructing a plate, you think about the uh, the traditional American you know, dinner of, it, it's a plate of thirds, you know, a third protein, a third vegetable, a third starch or, you know, whatever, whether it's potato or rice or some kind of bread product. Probably not nutritionally the ideal ratio, but it is the ratio that you see uh, more often than not in, you know, the standard American dinner plate. And then, of course, when you're making a dish like that, you might break things down into, you know, 70% one thing, 30% the other, whatever. It was just, it was just an observation. <laughs> but we are going to be using 70%, um, just very lean uh, ground venison, and then that 30% pork. If you check the show notes, obviously we'll have the photographs there in the Imager album. Um, no special equipment but I will put a link to some venison products um, from, I believe, Fossil Farms. That is not where I got my venison. I I got my venison from uh, the backyard or, <laughs> or the woods. But yeah, Fossil Farms, if you want to buy farmed venison, you can't. Uh, a word of warning, not a word of warning, just a uh, an expose. When you buy farmed venison, particularly in the, in the United States, Chances are it's going to be like a, a European red stag, which is similar enough, you know, for if you, to say that you're eating venison and you're eating European red stag, it is it is accurate enough. But there will be some differences between that and your like wild North American white-tailed deer, and a lot of it comes down to the habits and behaviors of the animal. Um, the terroir, you know, is it is it eating uh, some scrubland on a on a harsh you know hillside, or is it eating out of cornfields or pastures or whatever? It's all those things will inform uh, the flavor and uh, aroma, texture, whatever of the animal. Obviously, male, female, age, all that kind of stuff. This is a relatively young female, so it's very mild, very tender. Not a lot of, not a lot of mitigation that we have to take undertake for, for flavor on this thing. All right, but uh, aside from the proteins that we're using, the venison, the pork, let's take a spin through 
our ingredients. Now, some of these obviously are going to be for the sauce. Some of them are going to be for the meatloaf itself. For the sauce, we are not going to be using ketchup, but we are going to approximate a ketchup-based or barbecue sauce-based uh, top sauce for the for the meatloaf. I use, because we, we dehydrate our tomatoes to make like a tomato powder, you know, the tomatoes from the garden. So I use that tomato powder. You can use tomato paste in, in place of the powder. It's not that big of a deal. Um, some plain breadcrumbs. Now, hey, you know what? Before we go on with this, let's talk about breadcrumbs for a moment. Uh, let's see. What would be like three types of breadcrumbs that'd be very common for you to run across in the grocery store? You have your your Italian seasoned uh, breadcrumbs. I did not use those because I want to control the flavors that are going into this. And whenever you get something that's pre-seasoned, it's like, well, okay, it's convenient, but would I have put rosemary into this or basil or oregano? Maybe, maybe not. So by by using a plain flavored product, you won't you won't get like unexpected flavors of that. Oh yeah, I forgot yes. I didn't realize that this had, you know, insert seasoning X, Y, or Z. Panko, panko breadcrumbs. They're great. I like panko for a breading, like on the outside of something. Whenever you're trying to bulk something up, I do prefer like an actual breadcrumb that isn't like a, an engineered bread product. That's what panko is. Panko is, it's not the byproduct of a bread product. It is the product in and of itself. It is, it is made specifically to make panko breadcrumbs. Um, so I do like using just like a, a, a regular, quote unquote, regular breadcrumb, unseasoned. That's what we're using here. All right, let's see, we got some brown sugar. So you can use soy sauce, but I use coconut aminos, some balsamic vinegar, red wine vinegar, whole milk, thyme, yellow onion, garlic, carrot, mushroom, Parmesan cheese, egg, parsley, salt and pepper. Easy breezy, beautiful. All right, what we are going to do first. Now, if you if you have the ability, if you have the ability, if you have the inclination, if you have the equipment, if you have if you have the KitchenAid meat grinder attachment for your stand mixer or a standalone meat grinder, I highly recommend grinding your own meat for things like this. Um, for one, it's incredibly fresh. Uh, you can you you can use the cuts that you want. If you know chuck roast tastes different than top round, tastes different than you know sirloin or strip loin. So if you have a preference for a beefy flavor or if you're using venison, you know it doesn't hurt to grind it yourself. So for this one, we are using freshly ground venison and pork fat. Uh, I'm not going to focus a lot on the proteins there. Let's talk about the ingredients and how they inform the texture and the flavor that we talked about earlier. We want this to have the texture of like a, a spongy is not a good, doesn't have a good connotation, but uh, a, a springy, light, bouncy meatball. You know, a meatball that if you, you drop it, it's going to uh, go boing boing a couple times before it rolls off the table. To do that, we're going to use eggs as a binding agent. You know, red meat, particularly lean red meat, uh, doesn't pack together very well. It needs a binder, you know, the, using the, the Parmesan cheese, the breadcrumbs, the eggs, even the milk to an extent, are, it's going to increase the, the bindability of the protein and the fat here. 
So that's what that's for. The onion and the onion, carrot, and mushrooms. We're going to pulse those in a food processor to make what is essentially a slurry. The reason for this is that we want the moisture from the onion. We want the flavor from the onion. I mean, even the moisture from the, the, the mushrooms, they're, they're going to be very wet once they break down. We want all that moisture in the meatloaf, but we don't want we don't want the onion to break up the, the texture, the consistency of the protein. So by pulsing them in the food processor until it's like a slur, a slurry or a sludge, all of this uh, vegetative, 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 vegetative <laughs> matter will kind of just melt and get absorbed into the protein instead of being studded with these little pieces of like diced onion. We don't want that. Okay, so we're going to pulse those in the food processor. We're going to finely grate some Parmesan cheese. We're going to, with our fingertips, uh, pluck a whole bunch of leaves off of the sprigs of thyme, crush and chop the garlic, and very finely chop the parsley. And then in a mixing bowl with our venison, with our ground pork fat, we can add in the, the, the pureed vegetables, uh, the two eggs, the parsley, the thyme, the Parmesan cheese, the garlic. And then what we want to do is we want to take a sample of our sauce ingredients. This is like the brown sugar, the, the coconut aminos, the um, uh, balsamic vinegar, the red wine vinegar. Take like a tablespoon of each of those and add it into our farce mixture. That will ensure that most of the flavors that are going to be concentrated in the sauce on the top will be um, mixed throughout the meatloaf itself. So you get a little bit of sweetness um, between the Parmesan cheese and the coconut aminos in the actual uh, in, in the meatloaf itself. That will provide enough salt that you really don't have to have much of an addition of salt. I mean, you can salt it to taste, do a little sample or whatever. But yeah, get all that stuff in there. Get this mixed up really nicely. I used the bread hook on the KitchenAid stand mixer and then used a, uh, a spatula to fold everything together and to get a good consistency. Don't worry too much about over mixing the farce. If you, if you weren't going into it with uh, the intentionality of getting a nice light springy texture, you would probably want to be careful about over mixing it because the more you pummel and and molest lean protein the 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 more it kind of like locks together and gets gluey and and tough but with the the amount of liquid that we've added the vegeta vegetative <laughs> the vegetable matter the breadcrumbs the egg all, all that stuff that's going to um, prevent this from getting like protein locked together as it cooks down Okay. Take your farce and, you know, put it into a bread pan. You can use either your, your fist or the back of a spoon to kind of pat it into place so that you don't get air pockets or voids in the middle because you probably have to like scoop this out several handfuls at a time to put into, into the mold. And you want to make sure that you don't have any big voids at the bottom or in the middle or whatever. So make sure you get that in there nice and tight. Smooth it down on the top. We're going to start this off. This is actually another component of getting the right texture is a very gentle cooking time. Like I said, that a, a meatloaf is essentially a big meatball. 
It's also a rustic, simple pate or terrine, you know? Um, what is a terrine if not a loaf meat? <laughs> and usually with terrines, you're cooking them very gently so that you get like a, a nice consistent doneness all the way through. It's not like cooking a steak where you're getting a crust on the outside and then you want it to be less done inside. You kind of want this to be a very uniform and uh, gently finished protein. So we're going to start this off at like 325. 325 sounds good for, you know, the first half hour, 45 minutes. And then at that point, we'll be able to apply our sauce to the top of it and increase the temperature to 350, 375. And then maybe like the last 10 or 15 minutes, we'll knock that up to 400. And that'll, that'll caramelize some of the sugars in the sauce on the top while also kind of uh, dumping a bunch of heat into the mass of the beet loaf and allowing it to carry over once you remove it from, from the oven, okay? So let's talk about making this uh, sauce for the top. What we're going to try to do is recreate the range of flavors that are present in ketchup without actually making quote-unquote ketchup itself. So like I said, I'm using these de this dehydrated tomato powder. You can use half a can of tomato paste. That'll work fine. To that, I'm adding things like balsamic vinegar, red wine vinegar, brown sugar, a little bit of um, onion powder, a little bit of salt and pepper, a uh, little granulated garlic, and yeah, maybe three or four tablespoons of water to thin things out. And then we're going to heat that up and whisk it until it smooths out and takes on uh, the appearance of like a nice thick, you know, brick red barbecue sauce. It's fantastic. And then, like I said, after 45 minutes, whenever your meatloaf is, you know, it's going to have an internal temperature of like 90, 95 degrees at this point. Um, but it will, it'll start to appear to be done. We will brush the first dosage of this sauce on the top return it to the oven, uh, turn the heat up to like 350, 375, let that go for 10, 15 minutes, and then put another layer of that sauce on there, uh, nice and thick, and then knock the heat up to 400 degrees. What that'll do is that will caramelize and, and kind of candy a little bit of the sugar that is in that sauce, and it'll, it'll blister, it'll get nice and sticky. At that point, you can, um, you know, whenever your internal temperature, you know, you stick, st stab your meatloaf with the probe thermometer, get that internal temperature reading. As long as you're north of 150, you'll be pretty good because you'll have this carryover cooking. You can remove that from the oven, let it rest for 15 minutes. That will take it up to 160, 162 degrees, somewhere in that neighborhood. And then you can very gently uh, make your slices and remove those from, from the uh, bread pan and lay them on your serving plate. Now, why? Why did we choose venison for this instead of beef? Well, because I've got a lot of venison, you know? Once you take a couple of deer, you got to figure out something to do with them. <laughs> so the f figure, throw them in a meatloaf, see how it goes. But also what I wanted to do was kind of practice um, rounding off some of those flavors, you know, like a, different people in the household, uh, not a huge fan of venison, uh, not a fan of, of, of the gaminess of those types of meats. So the fact that we were able to round that off and make this taste like a down the, down the middle regular meatloaf 
is is a testament to the process. Also, uh, venison being very lean, it can it can be pretty dense. It can it can lock up uh, once it's uh, baked off like that. So it required an additional amount of attention to be paid towards getting the right texture and, and density. Uh, sometimes you need to stack the deck against yourself, you know, create a little bit of a uh, of an obstacle that you have to overcome in order to to, to focus to focus and uh, and rise to the occasion. So I'm happy to report that this turned out fantastic. And of course, if you have a bunch of venison available, uh, this would be a great recipe to use. If you don't, you can totally use beef. It'll be fine. It'll be delicious. But that is it. That is uh, that is meatloaf. Very uh, surprisingly, it can be surprisingly complex. You get a lot of really good flavors and textures in there. And it's, uh, you know, it's not just something that you schlep into the oven last minute. It, it can be a it can be a really gourmet uh, rectangular brick of meat. <laughs> I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. And we'll talk to you guys next week.